Hello, you are listening to AIMS Audio Waves, a shortcast brought to you by AIMS, where we discuss the latest topics from the world of nutrition and dietetics in short, easy to listen to episodes, ideal for listening to on the go. My name is Priya Chu. I'm a registered dietitian running Dietitian UK, a private practice and consultancy. I specialize in eating disorders and IBS, as well as being a media dietitian. And I'm author to two books, The Dash Diet and The Complete Low FODMAP Diet Plan and I am your host. Today we're joined by Lauren Griffin, a registered dietitian working in the NHS and private sector, specialising in oncology and surgery. Alongside her clinical work, Lauren runs her own business, Thrivology Health, helping clients unlock their health potential and eat well for life. Hi Lauren, I'm so pleased to welcome you today to our shortcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you Priya. How are you? I'm really well. Let's dive straight in. So there's been a lot of recent controversy within the media causing much confusion amongst healthcare professionals and the general public regarding the safety of ultra-processed foods or UPFs. The Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition has released a statement on UPFs and health. So it'd be great to try and unpick this with you today. Could you please start by reminding us of what UPFs actually are and outline the latest evidence on UPFs and health, please? Yes, of course. So to give people a recap, there's multiple food processing classification systems that give definitions. However, the most commonly used and the one we'll be talking about today is the NOVA food processing classification system developed in Brazil. And the NOVA classification puts all food and drinks into four main groups. So we have group one, which is our processed or minimally processed foods such as fresh fruit, vegetables, eggs and milk. And then in group two, it's processed ingredients such as salt, sugar and honey. And in group three, it's processed foods such as cheese, tinned meat and fish, ham, canned fruit and vegetables. And then in group four, coming on to our ultra processed foods. So NOVA defines ultra processed foods or UPFs as food that have multiple ingredients that you wouldn't typically find in a home kitchen. Things like preservatives, artificial flavorings, colorings, sweeteners and emulsifiers. And UPFs have usually undergone multiple processes before the final product is available to be eaten. And they typically have a long shelf life. So things like our sweet and savoury packaged snacks, carbonated drinks, instant noodles, ready meals, sweets, energy bars. And they're typically quite high in fat, sugar and salts, low in fibre and don't contain whole food ingredients. So UPFs are usually quite soft and energy dense, meaning that we consume calories of that particular food quicker than our hormone response can keep up and make us feel full. So we keep eating these foods. And it's worth to say that ultra processed foods are very different than just processed foods, which experts believe are fine as to some extent all of our food is processed. The research to date paints a concerning picture about the long-term health implications of diets high in ultra-processed foods. And the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition report has concluded that an increased consumption of processed foods, specifically ultra-processed, was associated with an increased risk of adverse health outcomes. So obesity, chronic disease, including type 2 diabetes, hypertension and cardiovascular disease and cancer. 
However, there are some uncertainties around the quality of the evidence available, as some of the confounding factors, key variables such as energy intake, body mass index, smoking status and socioeconomic status may have not been adequately accounted for. So consumption of UPFs may be an indicator of other unhealthy dietary patterns and lifestyle behaviours. However, one firm conclusion is that ultra-processed foods are typically high in fat, sugar and salt. And we know that these foods do have an increased risk of adverse health outcomes. Amazing. Thank you so much for that overview, Lauren. I think it's left us lots to think about. And we know that this is a really topical issue. So I think it's particularly important that we've thought about it and we're able to translate this information to our patients. As dietitians, How do you think we can empower patients to focus on making positive changes without causing that unnecessary fear and anxiety around the staple ultra-processed foods that are commonly used in our diets? For example, do you think we need to adjust our education and the wording that we're using accordingly? I think that's a great point, Priya, is how can we empower patients? And the key message I want to get across to our listeners is just because something is ultra-processed doesn't mean it can't be used as part of the healthy, balanced diet. And whilst we need to be sensible with our food choices, we also need to be flexible and realistic and remove the shame element surrounding certain foods. And yes, most of the ultra-processed foods are high in fat, sugar and so others can be a really important source of nutrients like vitamins and minerals. For example, soy milk and breakfast cereals are classed as ultra processed, but they're fortified with vitamins and minerals such as calcium, vitamin D and omega-3 fatty acids. And it's worth noting that the NOVA classification has been criticised as the nutritional value of a food isn't always related to how processed it is or if it's better for us than its processed counterpart. For example, butter would be classed as processed, but it is a saturated fat. However, something like an oil-based spread, which is an unsaturated fat, would be classed as ultra-processed. In terms of our advice around ultra-processed foods and nutrition support, it's very, very patient-dependent. So factors like clinical conditions, socioeconomic status, what's actually best for our patient. So it's important we take into account the evidence, but looking at the advice we give as a whole rather than just one element. And as you said, certain conditions will rely very heavily on ultra-processed foods to be a main part of their diet. So things like celiac patients, most gluten-free products will be ultra-processed. And ultra-processed foods quite literally do keep people alive. If we think about our nutrition support cohort, our malnourished cancer patients, for example, they will have a lot of ultra-processed foods in their diet. If we think about the food fortification advice we give, oral nutritional support, our tube feed products, they are all classed as ultra-processed foods. Same with type 1 diabetics. They'll be using a lot of ultra-processed foods in hypo-treatment in things like sugary drinks, dextrose tabs and sweets. And we're not going to tell somebody with celiac disease or, you know, a very malnourished patient to cut out ultra-processed foods from the diet because it's not realistic. And it's important we don't demonise ultra-processed foods and instead provide education to our patients. So weighing up the priorities for that particular individual right now. And I think when discussing ultra-processed foods people are having, it's important to take into account things like the portion size and how often are they having these products. And it's important that we empower them by giving them practical solutions to make these positive changes without causing unnecessary fear. 
So if somebody is relying heavily on ready meals, for example, how can we increase the nutritional value of that meal? So, for example, adding some vegetables on the side of it instead of just saying cut it out completely because that's just not realistic. The research is showing a diet high in ultra processed foods has adverse health outcomes, but the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition latest report does highlight that food processing is essential in today's society and it does have benefits including increasing shelf life, enhancing nutrient composition and convenience. So not all ultra processed foods are bad and some play a vital part in our lives. And it's important to remember food is much more than just nutrients, it's social it's celebration, it's culture, it's enjoyment. And it's important not to see foods as good or bad and remember everything in moderation. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there. I think it's really important that we focus on removing shame from this. There's been so much chat in the media, hasn't there, and this demonization of ultra processed foods and cutting all of them out of your diet. And actually, we almost need a classification within the Nova classification that looks at the different types of ultra processed foods and showing people that actually some of them are essential and some of them are really useful in our diet. It doesn't just mean because it's ultra processed, we can't have it and it needs to be a bad food. So I love the way that you've really taken us through that and you've highlighted those useful points. Lastly, is there anything that you feel the medical nutrition industry should be considering with regards to ultra processed foods? Yes, definitely. It's interesting that you said subcategories because I was going to come on to that, actually, because I think it's really important that we have those subcategories because some of these ultra processed foods should be defined as essential. So we don't demonize them. And that's where I think that we need more research into ultra processed foods and guidelines are definitely needed. The UK doesn't currently have any recommendations on ultra processed foods in our guidelines. They are referred to in the Eat Well guide in that bottom left hand corner, but it only says eat less frequently in small amounts. So I think some formal recommendations are really needed so we don't demonise them unnecessarily. I think marketing restrictions would be really helpful because a lot of ultra processed foods use something called health halos. So it might be branded as low sugar and a lot of products which people believe are healthy, such as protein shakes, low sugar yogurts, will be very ultra processed with a lot of emulsifiers and chemical additives. So having some restrictions about the labeling of these products in the guidelines would be beneficial. And looking at a food ingredient level, so changing the food that we are eating, and this worked really well if you think about the salt reduction and making the ultra processed foods in our everyday lives that we are consuming healthier. So maybe adding in more fibre, containing some more whole foods while still keeping them low cost and convenient. And finally, having some clear evidence-based messages at a population level. So better education and practical solutions. So, of course, having a healthy, balanced diet with whole foods, kind of that Mediterranean style inspired diet is great, but it's not always practical. And there's issues around that. So ultra processed foods will still play a big part in our diet and demonizing or scaremongering isn't going to make people not have ultra processed foods. But if the medical industry does some good campaigns, I believe that we can promote some messages on how to incorporate them as part of a healthy, balanced diet. And let's not forget ultra processed foods, they do serve a purpose. So, for example, they've got a really good shelf life, they're nutrient value and they're convenient and accessible. 
I particularly love that last bit that you've added in there. Actually, there are some pros here and we can't expect people to take all of these foods out of their diet. They are convenient. They are foods that people rely on sometimes. They do definitely have their benefits. And I think as dietitians, it's really important that we are giving that balanced approach, isn't it? So thank you so much for what you've shared there and just the insight that you've given because in a world where things can become quite polarized especially in nutrition it's important we have these discussions so thank you Lauren just for bringing that it's really been so useful have you got any last thoughts you would like to add no thank you Priya it's been great to discuss it because as you said I feel like there's so much mixed messages about it as well as dietitians, it's really our role to kind of empower patients Mm -hmm. and give that true evidence-based picture, but also show that no food is good or bad. And it really is about everything in moderation. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I think you've really highlighted the importance of dietitians and other healthcare professionals as well, presenting this information in a simple and practical way that doesn't bring shame, but instead it empowers people to make positive changes that are individualized to them. And it just helps them make those long lasting changes to their diet and to their health. So thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for everything that you've shared today, Lauren. Thank you, Priya. Join us again soon for our next shortcast episode where we'll be bringing you more discussions from specialist dietitians. <laughs>